Amen. So let's go ahead and read uh, 7 through 15 um, of first, or 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone back to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Timothy to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. So I want to give a, a brief uh, recap. Last week I talked about the race. I talked about that. Uh, I read that passage again. It says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. And I talked about the laurel, that in Roman um, athletic competition, the one who finished the race got a laurel. And it was the most prized uh, prize. It was the most prized prize uh, that they could get. It was the most coveted. And after the service, I was talking to my dad, who's a preacher, and he was like, great message, son. He said, you know, I want to talk to you about that, that race. He said, that race was so grueling that many people dropped out throughout the course of the race. That it was, that was the norm for people to drop out. He said, Mark, did you know that everyone who completed, um, everyone who completed the race got the laurel? Not just the first person. Everyone who completed the race wore that crown. It was so grueling that they were acknowledged for finishing the race. Friends, we all get to wear the crown, but we must finish the race. Love that. We see in this a sense of urgency from Paul. We know that this is the last letter that Paul wrote. The book of Second Timothy was the last letter that he wrote. And so we hear emotion in this. And we hear lots of emotion here at the end. There is a sense of urgency from Paul. Make every effort to come to me soon. Why would Paul say, make every effort to come to me soon? He knows. He knows the end is coming. He's in prison. And he knows that, that his life... He doesn't have many days left. Um, we see here that he requests a cloak to be brought for him. He's in prison, folks. <laughs> He's cold. And, and we see a, a good, vulnerable range of emotions. Paul's not Jesus. We know that, right? Paul's not perfect. Paul sinned. Paul blew it. Paul's awesome. He is a hero in the faith, but he was a man. And I love the vulnerabilities that he has. You know, I love that that he bears his heart with Timothy. Paul was virtually alone. And I think we can see from this passage that Paul was lonely. When he starts naming the people, 
that are no longer with him for good reasons or bad reasons. It's easy to sense loneliness. Guys, it's okay at times for us to feel, it's okay to be lonely. But we put our eyes back on Jesus. It's okay at times to feel sad, but we put our eyes on Jesus. It's it's okay to be mad. Jesus was mad. Jesus got angry. We see it in the word, but he sinned not. Anger is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was angry, but he didn't sin in the midst of temptation. He didn't sin in the midst of anger. When we have these difficulties that we're faced with, that's all right. That's normal. God created us with emotions. He created created us with vulnerabilities. It's okay. We don't have to be strong all the time. But in our weakness, we don't sin. We keep our eyes on Jesus, which we see here that Paul did. (coughs) No one had come to Paul's trial to speak in his defense. And the first person that we see made mention of was a man named Demas, who had left the faith. Demas was mentioned first. Why first? Because it weighed on his heart. It weighed heavy on his heart. He's sitting there encouraging Timothy, urging him to come soon. And he makes himself vulnerable, says, Demas, he left. He cared more about the things of this world. Having loved this present world, he's deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Why Thessalonica? That was home. That was his home. He went back home. He forsakes Paul in his greatest time of need and went back home. Was it fear? Was it greed? Was it self-preservation? He knew Paul was dying and he all of a sudden faced fear and was like, I'm not, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die for Jesus. <laughs> I'm not ready to die for Paul. I'm not ready to die for anybody. I don't know. The word that, that Paul uses here said, Demas has gone. That word is translated as to pursue the journey on which one has entered to lead or order one's life. And that's what we see is that Demas ordered his own life. At that moment, he made the decision. I know that there's a path that God has for me, but I, I'm taking matters into my own hands and I'm going back home. Demas decided to abandon what God had for him and return home. I want to make it very clear who Demas is. Okay, We see Demas mentioned in other scriptures. Colossians 4.14 says this, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Philemon 1.23 and 24 says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. My fellow workers. Paul had been one of Demas' co-workers. Demas worked for the sake of the kingdom with Paul. And that's how he's referred to. But yet he left because he loved the things of this world. My friends, there's got to be a certain love of this world because it contains God's people. But we cannot love this world nor its things nor its people more than we love God. 
We have to love God. If we love the things of this world, then we are devastated when we lose the things of this world. Right? I want to encourage you guys. And I speak from experience. Just so you know, if you don't, if you don't know my story, I speak from experience. Losing a house is not the end of the world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I, I know that's harsh. But it's true. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Losing your job is not the end of the world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your car breaking down and now you are got an RTD pass is not the end of the world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. My friends, if we love the things of this world more than we love Jesus, when we lose the things of this world, it will be devastating to us. But if we love Jesus more, then our eyes are set on Him and we trust Him. And we look to Him to be the source and the solution. We don't find our validation. See, see, I don't weigh my, my manhood. I was going to say manship. I think manship is applicable. Yeah. Um, I don't weigh my manship on, um, and manhood both, on the things of this world. And neither should you. It's not about how much we make. It's not about how much honor and recognition we get. It's not about how much stuff we get, how much toys we get. It's not about being class president. It's not about being captain of the soccer team. That's not what defines us. Keep our eyes on Christ. Look at the company that Demas is mentioned with. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote more words than anyone else. There's, there's more content in the Bible written by Luke than any other author. Paul wrote more books. Luke wrote more content. So he's mentioned with Luke. He's mentioned with Mark. So two authors of two of the four Gospels were Demas' homeboys. That's who he hung with. That's who he worked with. That's who he's described as being workers with. And this is the guy that walked away when times got tough. This is why it was so hard for Paul. This is why it weighed so heavy on Paul. When Paul's preaching throughout the books of First and Second Timothy, he often refers to Timothy as my son, my son. Friends, when we do this work, we invest ourselves. We let the roots go deep. We let the vulnerabilities be there and we, we embrace relationship and that's what we're supposed to do. If we fear relationship, then we live in bondage. What if I get hurt? You will get hurt. Not a what if. You, man, you, you will get hurt. But luckily, we serve who? The healer. But we have to be in relationship. But this is why it was difficult for Paul. This is why it weighed so heavy on him. I mentioned that Thessalonica was Demas' former home. But that's where he returned to. Let there be no mistake about it. The enemy will always come against us and tempt us to return to that place of comfort. Comfort, that place of familiarity. We keep our eyes on Christ.
There's not a, there's not a maybe. It's a definitive. If we serve Jesus, we will go through suffering. If we aren't prepared for that, it, then when times get tough, we question, Lord, where are you? Lord, what are you doing? Lord, guys, we will go through suffering. That's why we have to weigh the cost. That's why I ain't trying to... Please know by now, I'm not talking anyone into giving their lives to Jesus. I'm telling you, there's going to be suffering. It's going to be tough. But if you're ready, I, I can't keep you from it. If, if you love Jesus, I can't talk you out of it. I do love the transition that Paul makes, though. Paul starts off with Demas, but then he immediately goes to some more faithful brothers. Crescens, Titus, Luke, and Tychicus. Mentioning Demas reminded Paul of his more faithful co-workers who had also left. I want to bring that up. Who had also left, but left for different reasons. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Next verse. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. We might think, oh my gosh, everyone's abandoning Paul. You know, by by looking at that verse 10, not true. Demas deserted Paul, but the others, Crescens and Titus, were about doing the work of the Lord. They just weren't with Paul. He's just stating, making himself vulnerable. Hey, I'm all alone. But but there's not that same tone. There's not that same verbiage when he's talking about Crescens and Titus. We know that three years earlier that Titus was sent as an ambassador to, uh, oh, what were the islands? Italy. It's in my notes somewhere. Crete. That Titus was sent. The book of Titus is written to him three years earlier when he went to be an ambassador and to raise up leaders and to oversee the church there. And so just by by Crescens being mentioned with Titus, we have to assume that he's about doing the same type of work, doing the work of the Lord. Luke is there. That's awesome. That doesn't make Luke more, more better. That doesn't make him you know, more faithful. But Luke was called to be there to the end. Why? Because Luke had some writing to do. Luke had some scribing to do. Luke was a tenacious student of Jesus Christ. So now we see that Titus, Crescens, they've been about doing their work. Luke is with Paul. Tychicus. Paul had sent him to Ephesus. By the way, it's just one of those goofy things. I, mean, I always like kind of do like a little rap when I'm reading this. Because like, tick a kick to Ephesus. Tick a kiss to Ephesus. I don't know. So tick a kiss went to Ephesus. When you want to wrap it, it's cool. You can do it. You can say it. Take a kiss to Ephesus. Take a kiss. Yeah. So anyways, we see Tychicus, and that's one of those names that when you see it in the Bible, you'll remember every time now. But when I think of Tychicus, I think of one who is sent. One who Paul sent. I love that he mentions Demas, the deserter. Tychicus the sent. Sent. Commissioned. That word sent. 
is apostello. It means appointed to go to a place. So here's Tychicus, one of Paul's most trusted companions, being commissioned and sent to Ephesus. Ephesus, this is you know, the same place that, that Timothy is at right now. So this, when this letter is being read, written to Timothy, Timothy's in Ephesus. So I love that Paul was making sure that this church was strong and healthy. Ephesians 6.21 says this, but that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Colossians 4.7 as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bond servant. Man, what a description. Lord, let me get a description like that. Beloved brother, faithful servant, fellow bond servant in the Lord. He will bring you information. Titus 3.12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. So... I bring that up to say, you know, we see these people that ministered alongside Paul. And we see different choices being made. What are our choices? What do we choose to invest our life in? What are our choices? In verse 14 and 15, we see another guy. His name is Alexander says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Let me go ahead and point that out. Friends, either he's either God's your defender or he's not. And you trust God to repay how he feels fit. Paul very easily could have said, hey, send out the lynch mob. Alexander's got to go down. He did us much harm. Release the posse on him. That's not what he said. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But be on guard against him for yourself. For he vigorously opposed our teaching. Many scholars believe that Alexander was the same Alexander mentioned in the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, verse 20 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Here's my point in this. Talking about choices. Some people are dead set on doing harm. And our best efforts will not sway them. They, they, their minds are made up. They're going to do harm. They're going to be hurtful. They're going to be slanderous. When we hear of Alexander, the context that he has mentioned in First Timothy and Second Timothy, once again, is someone in the church. And he's, he's dead set on doing harm. So what do we do with these people? Number one, we must be honest about where they're at. And it is scriptural, because we just read it, to keep one eye peeled, just to keep an eye on them. Paul says, be on guard, be on watch. It's one of those truths that's like, <laughs> that wasn't the, I wasn't expecting that response. I was expecting something with grace. We are to show grace. But the Lord also has us show wisdom. You know, we talk about trust and, you know, when someone is continuously doing harm, 
Trust has been eroded. I think we must give people the opportunity to earn trust back. We must pray for them. We must forgive them. We have to forgive them. There's no scriptural alternative. We have to forgive people. But I think it's the rare. I think it's the rarity when someone is just just bent on doing harm without repenting, without I think it's the rarity. But it, it's there. So what we must do, we must pray for them. But I want to make this clear. There is no place in ministry and there's no place in fellowship for someone who insists on unrepentantly doing harm to others until they repent and have a change of heart. There's not, there's not, I'm telling you right now, there is not a place in ministry for someone who continuously and unrepentantly hurts people. There's not. If you don't love God's people, if you don't have the shepherd's heart, you have no business teaching. If you don't love God's people and have his heart, you have no business ministering to them, praying for them, prophesying over them. You have no business doing it. You must have the shepherd's heart. Whose church is this? Whose building is this? His. Whose people are you? His. In order to minister to his people, you better have his heart. So what do we do? The minute they show repentance, the minute they, they're like, man, I, I just, I hate doing this and I'm, I'm seeking God and I, I want to change. Will you help? Our answer has to be yes. We have to forgive and we have to give opportunity. Opportunity to what? To earn back trust. If there was, if there was a, a man in this room that was abusing his wife, he would be my counsel to the wife. Um, well, I, I'll be honest with you. First, I'd have to, we'd have to have a prayer meeting, the men in the church, not to honestly go lay hands on the brother. I mean, that would be my, and it wouldn't be like lay hands, this kind of lay hands. It would be lay hands, this kind of lay hands. Um, I really would. I mean, it'd be like, hold me back, brother. Let's pray for him. And then we lay hands one way or another. God is good. I don't know. Um, but the advice to the woman would be, hey, until he gets his mess together, he can he can sleep in the car. <laughs> Until he gets his mess to give him the opportunity to build trust, but he's got to earn that back. And I want to know every time he lay, every time he lays hands on you, you call the cops and then call me. That would be my advice as pastor. That would be my advice. You don't do that, but you but but let him see. Let there be repentance. I mean, I want my family to be together. Awesome. We're going to give you the chance to earn that trust. But brother, there's going to be some steps you've got to do to show that you're not trying to harm this woman or this family. Amen? It's not just my opinion either. That's the beauty. This is what Scripture shows us. So we're going to transition here. I purposely skipped Mark because I wanted to come back to Mark. Mark... You know, I look at it as the redemption song. In verse 11, it says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. You guys, the fact that Paul requested for Timothy to bring Mark to him is both astounding and uplifting. 
Mark, also known as John Mark, had deserted Paul and, and Mark's uncle Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And as you can imagine, this did not sit well with Paul. Let's read about it real quick. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John called Mark, left them, and returned to Jerusalem. Let's go a couple chapters to verse uh, chapter 15, verse 36. Some days, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Paul and Barnabas separated. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Mark's immature actions were the lone cause of Paul and Barnabas' ministry breakup. The immaturity of Mark was the lone reason for this ministry team, this powerful, effective ministry team being broken up, which makes John Mark at the time the Yoko Ono of the Bible. Solely responsible. So yes, it's astounding that Paul now makes this special request of all the people Paul could have asked for. He makes this request, bring me Mark. After Mark had previously bailed on Paul and damaged his valued relationship with Barney. But check this out, the uplifting part. We have to see the uplifting part. Somewhere along the line, Paul gave Mark a second chance. Not here. Not here. This is the result of the second chance. Somewhere along the line, Paul gave Mark a second chance. Even after he bailed on him. It's funny, you have Demas the deserter. And you have Mark who deserted, but it's a different word. I think Paul uses a, a lighter word. But Paul shows the grace that we talked about. So Demas the deserter. There he'd done the work of the Lord. But now he left. I promise you this. If Demas came back at any point to the church, to Paul, to anything, we don't know how the Demas story ended. But I promise you this. He would have been taken back. He would have been, second, he would have been given a second chance, just like Mark was given a second chance. And we don't have the luxury of all the details surrounding Mark's changed life or Paul's change of heart. But Paul's actions teach us a very valuable lesson. If given grace, people can change. If given grace, people can change. My friends, we cannot use definitive statements like they had their chance and they blew it. And man, thank God that I was given more than one chance because I blew it a lot. 
We can't use such staunch words. Now, we can, we can, we can guard against someone. We can keep an eye peeled. But we've got to give the opportunity for trust to be rebuilt. Mark, having been given that second chance, had proven his worth and had gained a new reputation. What was his reputation before? Ministry wrecker. Uh, divider. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of... Uh, a chicken or selfish or immature. He bailed on the work of the ministry. But look at his new reputation. Useful helper. Useful servant. Mark, who was once cast off, is now asked for by special request and is described as being useful for service. Useful is eucrestos. It's an adjective. It says easy to make use of. Mark is now easy to make use of. He is useful to me. Service is diaconia. Same root word where we get the word deacon. It means service, ministering, especially of those who execute the commands of others. It's the same word where we get deacon from. So I have four viable lessons learned from Paul's treatment of Mark. Four lessons learned from Paul's treatment of Mark. Number one, we should allow people to grow up. We got to allow people to grow up. I was immature. You know, like last week. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long it took me to grow up, but I was immature. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I had moments of maturity, but for the most part, you wouldn't have called me. And I wasn't I wasn't a mature kid. I was immature. I did childish things, stupid things. That carried over to young manhood. The beauty of college is, I, I realized this when I was at Oral Roberts University where I graduated from, and we would still, we would we would go down, we had to sign out after a certain time in the dorms, so we'd all have black on, and we'd have like black face paint, and we'd have hats on, and we'd have a backpack, and we'd all walk downstairs and sign out, okay? We'd all sign out. I mean, 15 guys going down, and all of a sudden, you know, the woman at the desk is looking, seeing these guys sign out, wearing black with face mask, and so what does she do? What does she do? She calls who? Campus security. That's her job. That's why we went down there wearing black. We wanted her to call the cops. So we'd just walk around campus until we saw the campus security. And the minute, and then we'd walk slower once, they, once we saw them. And the minute they saw us, we'd do, and run, and just take off. So campus security's flying over in their little golf carts, going over the hills and... I can't tell you how many golf carts we wrecked from campus security. And here was the beauty. When we got caught, which I never did, by the way, because I wasn't just immature, I was fast. I was immature and fast. But we got, you know, when people would get caught, here was the beauty. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're getting a little exercise. What are you running for? Just trying to stay in shape. God, you know, created us whole man, you know, body, spirit, mind. And so we're just trying to get some exercise. Well, you must have been up to something. Look at the way you're dressed. Yeah, I know. It's I, I, I can't say I have much fashion sense, but I didn't do anything wrong. And truly, we didn't. We're just immature kids. We're like, let's go wreck some campus golf carts. You know, let's run from the campus police. Why? Why do that? 
glorious immaturity. But there's got to come a point when we are willing to walk away from immature things. If I did that now, if I did that now, do you know how stupid I look? Do you know how I would lose face with everybody? You're like, are you an idiot, Mark? I mean, dude, you're not 21. That's just stupid. Why? Because I had to grow up at some point and stop doing childish things. Paul even makes mention of this. When I was a child, I acted like a child. I behaved like a child. I did childish things. But when I became a man, I did what? I put childish ways behind me. We have to allow people to grow up. They're going to do stupid stuff, my friends. We've got to allow people to mature. Number two. If we want to be trusted, friends, if we want a better reputation, we must grow up. Number one was we must allow people to grow up. Number two is if we want to be treated differently and not be seen as a child, we need to grow up. We need to correct some behavior. We need to correct some childish ways. Number three, we should not hold people back from ministry or leadership for past faults that have since been corrected. We should not hold people back from ministry or leadership for past faults, past sins that have since been corrected. What, what if Paul hadn't given Mark that second chance and said, brother, you were a leader. You were part of, you were part of the Paul team, man. You were part of Team Paul. Team Paul and Barnabas. And you wrecked Team Paul and Barnabas. You had your chance. So you can still serve. You can still clean toilets. You can still do this, do that, do, you know, whatever. But no, nah, brother, you can't be a leader. You had your chance. That's not what we see. And it's not scriptural. And it's not biblical. We need to grow up. But once we've corrected that sin, corrected that behavior, do we see people with the eyes of the Father and say, okay, what I see is a leader who's made some bad decisions. Guys, I made bad decisions. Good Lord, you don't want me to sit here and point out all the bad decisions I made because some of you would look at me and say, he's no longer deserving to be a leader because we have that mindset of, no, nah, leaders got... We've got to have grace for people. When Paul mentioned Alexander, Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1, he talked about surrendering them over to the enemy so that they might stop blaspheming. He was saying that, man, I'm surrendering them over to the enemy in hopes that they'll get a taste of what pain is so they'll run back to the Lord. His whole purpose in that was repentance. I'm hoping they'll be brought back to repentance. Friends, we've got to have grace. We've got to believe the best in people and want them to be brought back to repentance. So how many chances do you get? I don't know. How many times do you should forgive? I don't know. Maybe seven, Lord. What about seven, Lord? How about seven times 70? That's what Peter asked. He thought he had a great answer. <laughs> seven? Seven! Seven, Lord. It's a godly number.
If we, have, if we have the heart of the Father, if we move our lives with the heart of the Father, we don't put a number on it. When we encourage someone who has failed and we open our minds to the possibility that he or she has matured and changed, we may be rescuing a world-changing ministry. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the power of grace? By us opening our hearts and minds to someone who has blown it before and, and believing in them, we may be believing in the next world-changing ministry. That's what Mark was. Number four, we should welcome relationship as part of grace. We should welcome relationship as part of grace. What does that relationship look like? I don't know. I'm not saying you got to be best buddies. But I look at Paul's example here. And he, he made this special request of Mark. Prior to that, we see that he speaks fondly of Mark. Colossians 4.12 Earth's darkest, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you. Welcome him. Right there. We see that part of the second chance. Philemon 1, 23, 24. We read it, but again, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Mark went on not only to be a trusted Christian leader, but also became Paul's trusted and beloved friend. Just, we've got to live our lives with grace. Okay? There's people that have hurt me and I've forgiven them. And I just don't, I don't see a future. But man, you know, I, I, that doesn't mean that we're not in relationship. There's, there are people like that that I have regular communication with. And it's always good. It's a text here. They're, hey, just thinking about you, brother. I appreciate. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, I was just thinking about you. Awesome. We're in relationship. He's, or we're not double dating, but you see what I'm saying? But there's other peoples that there's other peoples that that have hurt me and I've forgiven them. And you know what? Now we are close. We are close. As a matter of fact, we're closer than ever because we overcame adversity together. Because we put our eyes on Jesus and we're closer than ever. So what we cannot do is say, I will never let that person into my heart again. My friends, there's no place for that. Not if our hearts belong to Jesus Christ. Not if we have trusted in Him. Because we're not the Lord. He's the Lord. So you can't say definitive things like, I will never. Really? Because I thought He was Lord. I thought our knees were bowed to Him. I thought we made Him King of our life. So either you're running your life or He is, but I'm pretty sure you both can't be. I know this. I know I know this kind of... I know you're not happy right now. I can just see that. That's okay. But we got to have grace. Mark went on to write the Gospel of Mark. And he inspired parents all over the world to name their precious baby boys Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. In wrapping up, Second Timothy 4, 10. And 12. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. 
Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. I talked about choices. Who will you be? You have a choice. Who will you be? Who do you choose to be? Will you be one who abandons when times get hard? Will you be one who causes harm to others? Will you be one who is about the Lord's work? Will you be one who loyally stands beside? Will you be the one who made the most out of a second chance? Hmm. Will you be one who has been faithful? and is sent out to do the work of the Lord. Only two of these are undesirable. The examples of Alexander and Demas. Alexander, the one who causes harm to others. Demas, the one who abandoned when times got hard. Demas, he walked with the Lord. Demas served and was a valuable worker in the kingdom of God. Demas served beside God's mighty apostle, Paul. But Demas, who took his eyes off of Jesus and on to things of this world. This will be one of the things that I I can't wait to find out how the story of Demas ended when I go to heaven. I can't wait to see. I tell you what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful for repentance. I'm hopeful that he went back to Thessalonica or somewhere along the way and he's like, what am I doing? I serve the king. And even if I have to die for the king, I'll die for the king. The things of this world just don't matter that much. That's what I'm hopeful for. He he was with these men. That's what I'm hopeful for. I've got nothing to base it on that that's what happens, but man, that's what I'm hopeful for. Here's the cool thing. I asked who you will be and I read these things off. If you're like me, you weren't just one of these things. You were several of these. You were probably the one who abandoned when times got hard. But you were probably the one also that was given a second chance. Or maybe today's your day of second chance. And so then you become the one who stands faithfully beside. And then you become the one who gets sent out. See, you don't have to just be one. This is all of us. We were many of these things. Who will you be? Your past doesn't define you. Jesus Christ and His grace defines you. If you need a second chance, this is your day of second chances because God has it for you every day. Maybe you've been one that caused harm to others. Friends, repent. If that's you, just repent. What does repent mean? To change your mind. To rethink. To to come into alignment with the mind of Christ. If you're one that's caused harm, just repent and say, Lord, change me. Change me. I don't want to be that guy. I need a second chance. And you got it. You got it. Because that's who Jesus is.
who will you be? Be an overcomer. Keep your eyes on Jesus when times get hard. Be about the Lord's work. Loyally stand with God, bearing the name of Jesus, working beside His church, walking in His plan. Grow mature in the Lord. Be renewed by His grace. See your reputation changed. Be faithful in ministry. Be faithful in service. Be one who is sent to do the work of the King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good. And right now, as an act of our will, we make this proclamation, this decision, this choice to be defined by you. to be defined by who you say we are. To be renewed by you. So Lord God, we, we yield to you, to your ways. We choose to let go of childish ways and to move forward in life and grace and forgiveness. Lord, we plant our feet in the ground and we bend our knees and we say let the winds come but we will stand beside you let the difficulties come and they will but I will stand for you Jesus define us give us a new name give us new actions give us a new heart one that beats for you. One that beats with the love of the Father. I'm going to make this quick because I'm not going to force fruit off a tree. But if you're here tonight, you've never given your life to Christ, but you want to receive His forgiveness, His grace, His salvation, you believe in Him Believe that He is the King of Kings, that He paid the price for your life, for your sin, for your future, for your past. If you want to give your life to Him and declare Him as Lord and Savior and King of your life, I just want you to raise your hand and lock eyes with me. Let's make it unmistakable because I'm not convincing you. I'm just giving you opportunity. Is there anybody who wants to do that? Just make it obvious so that there's no doubt. Raise your hand, lock eyes with me. And it's a proclamation that, yes, I haven't been talked into anything. I willingly give my life to the king. Is there anybody? Is there anyone? Make it obvious, friends. I see a couple eyes, but I don't know. I'm not talking into it, but I want you to be certain. If that's you, just throw that hand up there. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, Father. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your power. I thank you that we do not serve a God in a grave, but we serve the resurrected, victorious, transformed, glorious King, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for each person in this place tonight, Lord, and I thank you for the awesome plan, and I thank you for the countless ways your grace has transformed our lives.
Lord, I just speak your blessing right now over every individual, over every marriage, over every couple, every child, every family in this place. Strengthen them, Lord, with your love. Strengthen them, Lord, with your grace. Strengthen them, O Holy Spirit, with your power. In Jesus' name, amen.